the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine past 10. Thanks for being with us. It's time to talk to an attorney. And I tell you what, I've been begging for an attorney who will have an idea about what we are talking about. And uh, there's no better. Uh, even though this may not be in his uh, specific area of expertise, he is a labor attorney by trade. Nobody knows the law better than Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow joins us uh, for his regular Tuesday visit. Pete, of course, is, in addition to being an attorney, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, a uh, best-selling author, and a very well-respected columnist for National Review and other publications. Pete, good morning. Hey, Bob. It's a beautiful day in Cleveland. Kind of yeah. sounds like uh, Mr. Rogers there, but uh, it is. It's a gorgeous day in Cleveland. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful week. Uh, really uh, sunny and in the 80s pretty much most of the week. Yeah, so about time. Summer is on its way. Hey, Pete, um, I, I, I've been talking to people about this. I've been begging to get an attorney's opinion on this. Um, before we dive into critical race theory in our military, uh, which is what I really want to hit, um, Mike DeWine's little Vaximillions lottery. He's taking $5 million of the COVID relief dollars that were given to him by the federal government, which means given to him by us, because the federal government only has our tax dollars to use. They gave him that money for COVID relief. COVID relief is supposed to be to rebuild businesses that have been destroyed during the economic policies put in play, place by Mike DeWine. But rather than use it for that, he's using it to bribe or entice people into taking the vaccination. Now, I don't care where you stand on the vaccination. The point is, though, he's giving $1 million to one person for five consecutive weeks and then also college scholarships to teenagers who are taking the vaccination again uh, once a week for five weeks. Pete, is that not discriminatory against people who have not taken the vaccination? Can he discriminate legally against people based on their health condition or their health choices? 
Yeah, you know, there's there's a there are a lot of things to unpack there. The first is what's the nature of the grant? What type of authorities does he have under the the, the nature of the monetary grant? What latitude does he have? But then after you get beyond that, the question is: Is there anything that he's doing with respect to dis- distribution of money? that affects any immutable characteristic or, for example, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, Mm -hmm. related to the uh, distribution of these funds. And, you know, a lot of it depends on the exact wording of whatever program he's going to be implementing. What I understand is that, you know, this is a, it's a lottery system. You get, uh, you know, you may get this money, but consider that there were a whole host of people who've already been vaccinated who are no longer eligible for this. So, you know, you could, somebody who's enterprising, and I don't necessarily suggest that, but an enterprising theory would be something that, you know, I've discussed with a few others, is that um, if you take a look at those who first got the vaccine, and if they fall within certain demographic groups that aren't in the same proportion as the demographic groups who are more likely now to be eligible for the vaccine, there's a, you know, a disparate impact theory. I'm not a big disparate impact fan. But I can see plaintiffs' attorneys coming up, conjuring up a theory related to that. But there's a, the whole host of issues related to this. You know, aside from the legalities of it, is it bad policy? You know, I happen to think it's just, I don't know if you want to call it bad policy. I think it's kind of lunatic policy. But, you know, uh, to answer your question, there are issues related to that. I don't know if they're viable. Again, you'd have to take a look. I'm, I'm a person who's reluctant to come to legal conclusions unless I look at the details of everything with exacting scrutiny. But you can certainly posit theories under which this might have some, there may be some challenges to this. Yeah, and, and I hope those, those theories are challenged, and I hope it does go to a court of law. Like I said, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine somebody mismanaging the pandemic and the aftermath of it worse than Mike DeWine did, unless you're talking about killing 15,000 people in nursing homes in New York. That's about the only other place that I can go. But like I said, it's one thing to mismanage it, to completely misstate the danger and the threats and so forth from the beginning, the way he did locking down Ohio's economy uh, and putting so many people out of work and putting so many businesses either under or literally going under, you know, underwater where they're trying to get back out or they have gone under and they're never coming back again. But this guy has continued to mismanage by now taking funds used to rebuild those things uh, and and having his little uh, Vaximillions game show. It is uh, it yeah. is simply incomprehensible. And, Go ahead. And Bob, again, to kind of you know drill in on this point, again, remember it depends. You've got to look at the fine print. But one of the things I know, you, you just talk to the average person out there. They're, they're, they're mystified by this. They're kind of, many are kind of repulsed by this. They don't like the aspect of a bribe. But also, a significant cohort of Ohioans has already been vaccinated. And we're always led to, you constantly hear the refrain, whether it's Ohio or other states, that there's certain, quote-unquote, underserved communities that uh, haven't been vaccinated at the same rate as others, you know, which is code word for, of course, black, Hispanic, and, and other communities. Well, if that's the case, and, and that is that most of the individuals who were vaccinated uh, may have been white, and most of them were elderly, but, you know, there wouldn't be an age discrimination component here because it goes in the opposite direction. But nonetheless, um, you know, you Somebody could make an argument, I think it's very tenuous, but I think someone can make an argument based, again, on disparate impact that, you know, look, he's deprived a whole uh, segment of the population disproportionately uh, uh, white uh, that, um, you know, they're not eligible for this vaccine. Again, I think that's tenuous, but what it points to is the... The sheer failure of public policy here, I, I, I think that when you have to start offering lotteries, 
for getting a vaccine, then something has gone seriously off the off the rails. No question about it. Peter Kirsten, I was our guest. It's 1015. Pete, I want to dive into this before our first break so that I can get uh, a couple of segments on this. You probably have heard it already. Critical race theory and Marxism do not belong in our military, in particular Marxism. But because critical race theory is rooted in Marxism, we can kind of lump them together. They do not belong in our military. One U.S. military commander working actually as a commander in the Space Force, the new branch created by uh, President Trump has been fired and demoted from his job uh, as commander because he wrote a book and then went on a podcast and discussed that book. The book that he wrote, Peter Kersenow, is called Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. In the um, uh, inter- interview on the podcast, he condemned Marxism and also condemned critical race theory, which, by definition, he said they had been forced to watch videos in the Space Force and presumably in the other forces as well. They had been forced to watch videos which described the United States as being inherently evil uh, and as having been founded in 1619, not 1776, and that white people are inherently evil. And he spoke out against that, saying this is going to divide our military and make us weaker. They fired him for that, Peter Kersenow. Uh That comes on top of a story that I literally just saw this morning uh, from Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Harker, who said that they, uh, who released yesterday a memo outlining his Navy's efforts to promote DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Not meritocracy and military readiness, but diversity, equity, and inclusion. Pete, am I wrong to say that if we go to war with a foreign power right now, um, we'd, we'd lose? That's how I feel about our military right now. I think we'd still win, but the Chinese are rubbing their hands with glee because it's only a matter of time. Uh, you can't do this kind of stuff. And it's happening, I remember a few years ago, uh, a good friend of mine who's a West Point grad is uh, very chagrined about what's happening to his alma mater. Um, you know, the, I remember at the first time he found out about this one uh, cadet who was an avowed communist uh, and wore a communist shirt underneath his uh, uh, uniform. Um, this this is incredible uh, that we are tolerating what is going on in the military is stunning. And I heard about it immediately. Of course, I got a million emails about this. I suspect a lot of people across the country are alarmed about this. This is um, it's not just a minor. It's a, it was a small article, of course. It only involves one individual, but this is a major matter. I think it has had earthquake-like implications for much of the veterans community. I heard from a number of them, uh, friends of mine. And thank God, I think some of the more comatose Republicans out there realize that this is a bridge too far. And some of them who may be somewhat politically savvy also understood that this is political gold also. They can really run on this. What the Biden administration, the Democrats are doing to our military and all of our institutions, frankly, just corrupting and perverting it and perverting the principal missions of these uh, enterprises. But you cannot do this with the military to uh, fire somebody for criticizing the philosophy antithetical to our nation, the the philosophy that has caused hundreds, uh, well, at least 100 million deaths in the world, and principally many of those deaths were as a result of trying to conquer or defeat the United States of America or and or its allies. Um, 
there needs to be a deep dive and cleansing <clears throat> of our military institutions. Many more knowledgeable people than I have who have a, a greater understanding of what's going on right now in the military have said the same thing. Uh, you talk to some of the generals out there who have been sounding the alarm. You probably saw yesterday, I think it was maybe it was yesterday or the maybe it was last week, that over 100 uh, military officers uh, signed a, uh, uh, a, a proclamation or a memo uh, you know, decrying what was going on in, in, in great alarm. So we're not going to get any kind of movement sua sponte or that's voluntarily from the Biden administration. They're all on board with this. And the Pentagon seems to be all on board with this. Uh, this is a grave threat. I mean, there's so many grave threats facing the nation, and that's not hyperbole. The Biden administration, that which you may claim is an administration, I'm not sure there are any functioning individuals at the, at the helm, but it is um, doing so many things that are harming American interests, and the most serious one right now, the most immediate, is the corruption of the military. It is exactly that, and it's hard to say that. It's hard to acknowledge and admit that, but it is the corruption of the military. Peter Kirstenau is with us. We're going to continue this conversation after this time out. It's 1020, and we'll talk more about about other examples of this wokeness affecting our military and affecting our country, including at the governmental levels, levels coming up on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 1025, i got uh, another segment or two with Peter Kirsten. Now, this one is a little bit shorter. We're talking about critical race theory in the military. We're talking about military readiness and preparedness and uh, how much it has dropped off. Uh, you know, last thing on this, Pete, <coughs> excuse me, I didn't want to say anything. And you know what's really sad? I've been so victimized by these allegations of racism and so forth, uh, like so many other people. I wanted to condemn and criticize the selection of Lloyd Austin by uh, Joe Biden as his defense secretary from the moment he made it, uh, because I read up on him, and I the guy is absolutely incompetent and is not prepared for this job. I don't care if he's a four-star general. He has no business being defense secretary i refrain from that criticism because he's black and you can't criticize black people in america particularly in positions of authority without being called a racist but now i've got a a, a pentagon chief who is telling us that the most existential threat that we face is not china and it's not russia and it's not iran and it's not syria and it's not middle eastern terrorism etc etc it's climate change that's what the military, the leader of the Pentagon said, is an existential threat, climate change. Does he want to aim tanks at, at the sun? I don't know what the hell that means, but Pete, this is the guy leading our military, which is why I'm so disgusted by all of these things that you just talked about. So many people in this administration are not serious people. Uh, they're, they're political people. They are ideological people, but they're not serious people. And by that, I mean they are not competent or engaged in the subject matter of their particular discipline, of what they're supposed to be doing in terms of being a you know, commerce secretary or labor secretary or head of the Pentagon. And one of the great a acts of racism, um, I argue, is by appointing or promoting, uh, as the left likes to call people, people of color, one of the most ridiculous terms I can think of, but um, based on 
certain presumptions about how people of color are supposed to think or operate and promoting such people who are incompetent. Look, there's plenty of competent people of color out there, but they're not promoting these people. They're promoting them only based on whether Mm -hmm. or not they check a certain demographic box. And what that does, look, people, ordinary human beings won't say this because they know they'll get canceled. They'll know that heaps of opprobrium will be leveled upon them. But nonetheless, people recognize that we've got substandard and or incompetent individuals at the helm of so many different offices and departments placed there by the Biden administration. And you start to come to the conclusion, is this the best they can do? Um, This is one of the great ways of promoting racism in this country. We are lowering standards in every one of our institutions. You know, most notably, of course, in our academic institutions, we're not just lowering standards, we're eliminating them completely, eliminating, you know, standardized tests and all the other, you know, uh, instruments we used to use to make sure that admissions to those institutions was done based on merit and not any other considerations. But we're eliminating all those standards so anybody can get in practically or, more importantly, that those in positions of power can let in whoever they want to get in without there being any kind of a check as to whether or not those people actually can can compete at those various institutions. And what that's what we're seeing across the board. We're seeing Biden making decisions on the basis of race. Just two years ago, the kind of overt racism we're seeing, the kind of discrimination we're seeing, I, I'm talking about institutionalized, governmental discrimination, just bald discrimination, uh, would have uh, created hysterics, rightfully so. It would it would be considered unlawful, and rightfully so. It is unlawful. But we're doing it in so many different categories now. It's, it's metastasized beyond the educational sphere to the military, to private enterprise, and many, I mean, many companies are hiring people based on immutable characteristics, race, sex, what have you. And we're eschewing merit, competency and colorblindness. This is a prescription not just for wholesale failure of those individuals, wholesale failure of the systems, but our failure of our system of democratic republic governance. You cannot do something like this and expect the United States to continue to be the beacon of liberty uh, across the world. And we spend so much time, you hear the, you know, the 1619 Project and Critical Race Theorists always talk about how you know, the United States was founded based on white supremacy and racism. We spent so much time over the last 250 years fighting against racism. And then we, we achieved a point in the early 60s that I thought where we, we got it. That is that when Martin Luther King said content of character versus color of skin, to me that was the most succinct expression of the American ideal with respect to non-discrimination. And we labored to get there, and then we labored to preserve that for a few decades, and now the left is throwing it to the wind and saying, nope, let's engage in overt discrimination based on what we think is important, based on what whom we think should be favored. And it's as I said before, it's a prescription for societal failure for putting all of us at one another's throats for lack of trust in our institutions. And you see wherever we go, uh, Bob, I, you know, I think you and I have discussed this before, but I'm sure every one of your listeners, almost every American I know, has discussed over the last few years how it seems like everything is viewed through the prism of identity and how yep. it seems like everything seems to be falling apart, at least as a direct result, indirect result of that. It, it does indeed. And that is the most uh, tragic thing about all of this, uh, it, because we were supposed to be, we were taught 
by Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights era, we were taught to not see race. We were taught to see people. And instead, we view everything through that prism now because this is what the left wants. This is what Marxism teaches. Marxism teaches the opposite of what Dr. King taught. Uh, we'll be back with one more segment with Kersenow next. social justice warriors if you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended this isn't it this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer okay 1036 let's continue now with peter Kersenow talking about all manners of race and racism and critical race theory and marxism pete i want to uh shift your attention because it does involve race in a bit of a different way to what's going on in uh uh, in Israel and along the Gaza-Israel uh, border now. Um, I, I'm just blown away that we continue to have people in the United States Congress cheering terrorists, literally cheering and arguing in support of terrorists and terrorist rights, condemning a nation for daring to defend itself because in the course of defending itself it may be harming civilians uh, who are considered Palestinian and uh, I, I'm very careful with my language there because Palestine is not a thing um, but we all know what has happened thousands and thousands of rockets over the course of the last week have been fired from the Gaza Strip into backed by Iran funded by Iran from Hamas and the uh, uh, Islamic Jihad uh, terror group in, in Gaza they have been fired into Israel we all know the response is what it ought to be. Israel has a right to defend itself. Even the Biden administration says as much, uh, although they continue to try to make this an equivalency, as if this was some sort of, some sort of uh, equal combat and not one attacker and one defender. But they do say they have a right to defend themselves while continuing to call for a two-state solution. How do you feel, Peter Kersenow, when members of the United States Congress openly condemn and assail Israel for defending itself while supporting and cheering on the Hamas terrorists. Is that not akin? I don't know if it's actually worded that way, but you know, if you give aid and comfort to the enemy of the United States, you are committing treason. If you give aid and comfort to the enemy of a United States ally like Israel, is that not also borderline treasonous? Um. You ask me how I feel about it. Um, angry, appalled, but unsurprised. What we have today is so many people in Congress and or the media, and of course there are almost universally Democrats in Congress, mm-hmm. and prob- I, I say almost universally because I, I just don't know what every Republican has said in the last, say, 72 hours. But nonetheless, they have, for a long time, Try to engage in this moral equivalency between what's happening with, uh, you know, the, what's happening in Gaza and what's happening with respect to the shooting of rockets, and there is no such equivalency. And the media is sticking their head in the sand, 
trying to behave as if or trying to to act as if the uh there there is this moral equivalency in that maybe you know Israel is somehow at fault because if if they respond in some way they take extraordinary measures to try to protect civilian life but if someone unfortunately because of the tactics of Hamas gets hurt of course the media blares it everywhere and the democrats meaning many of the democrats the so-called if you want to call them mainstream democrats that is those who are not part of the squad those who aren't on the complete lunatic fringe. But many of these Democrats are either silent or they're complicit in what the squad has been saying. It is racism. You know, it's anti-Semitism. It truly is. And to promote the terrorism that Hamas engages in and uh, condemn the self-defense acts of the justified self-defense of Israel and Israeli citizens is extraordinary. There's a, a pretty good cartoon that um, probably captures all of this better than a thousand words can, and it has a Hamas fighter with a baby carriage. He's, he's got a rifle, and he's aiming it at an IDF, uh, an Israeli soldier, mm-hmm. and he has a baby carriage in front of him, whereas the IDF soldier has a baby carriage behind him. And that tells you all you need to know. That's Just accurate. as when, you, you better believe it. You better believe it. And we're engaging in this moral equivalency. It's extraordinary what's going on here. You said, how do I feel? I'm angered by it. If I had an opportunity to yell and scream at these idiots in Congress who engage in this kind of moral equivalency, I would do so. Unfortunately, I'm not down in Washington very often these days. Um, The United States has to act with moral clarity in support of not just its allies, but those who are in the right. Israel is engaged in self-defense. It's not at this point existential, but it can very quickly devolve into an existential battle. So there's no moral equivalency. Americans of every stripe, but especially our representatives in Congress, have to speak clearly about what is evil and what is right. And unfortunately, we have a large cohort who seem to align themselves with evil. Yeah, you do. And that undermines some of the statements that are being made by the official representation of the Biden administration. The Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, uh, said this. We've been working intensively behind the scenes to try to bring an end to the conflict. Israel has the right to defend itself. There is no equivalence between a terrorist group indiscriminately firing rockets at civilians and a country defending its people from those attacks. So we call on Hamas and other groups in Gaza to end the rocket attacks immediately. So if that is, and that's a pretty strong statement, although although made without a lot of passion, if I may observe, very, very low-key about that. I don't think he likes having to say that because he knows it bucks the, the feeling of a lot of the people in his party. But my point is, if that is going to be the default position of the administration, and thus the country, that Israel has a right to defend itself and is a false equivalency to say that firing back is the same thing as being fired upon, then why is the Democrat Party not moving to silence and censure um, it's representation in, in both the House side and the Senate side of individuals who continue to perpetuate the Israel is the demon here and that Palestinian lives are being taken uh, by the uh, by the vile uh, rat like uh, Jews in Israel, because that's literally what they're drawing in their cartoons and what members of Congress are saying in their Twitter accounts. 
the reason they're not doing it is because they're engaged only in expression, uh, oral expressions. That's all. Lincoln can say all the quote-unquote right things, but actions, again, speak louder than words. You take a look at what the Biden administration is doing that has fomented precisely what we're seeing right now. What they're doing is sending powerful signals, and it's more than just signals. They are doing things to enable and empower Hamas. Hamas couldn't do what it is currently doing without the patronage of Iran and certain other players, but mainly Iran. And what happened? Remember, we had historic Abraham Peace Accords, three treaties that were signed that the media gave absolutely no attention to last year that the Trump administration was able to, to forge. And we had relative peace. And by relative, I mean compared to what we've seen over the last 40 years, it was virtual peace. It was tantamount to, you know, just happy times are here again. And then it quickly devolved when the Biden administration came in and certain signals were sent that, you know what, we're back to business as usual under the Obama administration. And they then engage in talks with Iran, the world's greatest state sponsor of terror, talk about opening up the most disastrous deal since probably Molotov-Ribbentrop, the most disastrous deal the United States has ever uh, forged in the Iran nuke deal, give Iran all kinds of money. That sends the signal that all bets are off. Iran then has the ability and has been supplying Hamas, and then you have these rocket attacks. We have to come down hard. Hamas couldn't do 90% of what they're doing without the support of Iran, and without at least a tacit wink from the international community. Everybody wants to deal with Iran now, and we're dealing with all the bad guys. We have to stop off, we have to shut off the supply of, of missiles and other arms to Hamas. We have to make sure that Hamas understands that it is completely isolated, and its allies are isolated and anathematized. But that's not what the Biden administration is doing. They're saying one thing, they're doing just the opposite. Yeah, that is, you know, and, and like I said, I wonder what the American people think. I don't know if there's been any surveys about this or not. I would hope that the American people side as we do with the people of Israel. You know, Dennis Prager did a video, uh, Peter, and maybe you saw it among the many PragerU videos. He, he did a video, um, five minutes long about what it would look like and what the world would say if groups described Italy as they do Israel. And I don't know if he picked Italy for a particular reason or not, but he's just as an example. If there were terror groups around the world that said Italy should not have the right to exist, it should not occupy a place on a map, it should not exist, those people would by definition be anti-Italian. Yet, the, the the number of, of people and nations around the world who do not want Israel to exist are trying to convince you that they're not anti-Semitic. How can you be anti-Israeli existence and not be a hater of Jewish people? Uh, the comparison Dennis did, like I said, with Italians, it was it's terrific, and everybody should look it up. Don't use Google, but use a search en- engine and find PragerU Israel-Italy comparison, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But Pete, that's the core of this. You said it is racism, it is anti-Semitism, and it is exactly that. But yet they deny people. I don't care if it's Jordan, I don't care if it's Iran, if it's Syria, if it's Egypt, all the surrounding nations. They don't care. Uh, they uh, they just they they claim that it's anti-Israel, but it truly is anti-Semitism. Yeah, there's a, that's the only conclusion you can 
plausibly come to, because Israel poses no threat to anybody, none whatsoever. They're not an aggressive country. They, they, the Arabs within the territory of the geographic space of Israel have greater human rights than they do elsewhere in the entire world, with the exception of the United States of America, of course. What's, what's going on here? is inexcusable, and I'm sick and tired of hearing our mealy-mouthed politicians just, you know, spout these platitudes without taking action to protect our allies. And in terms of human rights, what greater human right do you have than the right to exist? You know, Israel's not bothering anybody. All they say is, look, we have a sliver of land here. We're going to defend ourselves against any kind of attack, but we're going to leave everybody else alone. But no, Everybody else around them seems to want to destroy them. And what does the United States of America do now? Oh, okay, we'll we'll mouth certain uh, uh, phrases of support, but the energy behind the party that's currently in power is anti-Israel. There's no doubt about it. Do you hear Nancy Pelosi censuring in any respect the members of the squad for saying things that they couldn't say about any other nation or any any other group of people? No, no. And those kinds of messages are heard very loud throughout the world. People get it. Even China looks at that kind of response, and they understand what's going on there. And they've got an ally. They do. So it's, it's, uh, I think Republicans have been standing pretty firm. I mean, I've heard a number of senators and congressmen who've been standing firm. But unfortunately, Republicans don't have any power right now, or at least not enough power to... Uh, make any substantive difference in terms of our policy. Again, words are nice from Blinken, but actions are far more important. And no one gave Trump any credit in the media or on the left, but I repeat myself, no one paid even any attention to the historic accords that he, he was able to forge. No one seemed to notice that for nearly four years, we had relative peace in the Middle East. No, nobody knows all those things. And now within just a few month, months, with the Biden administration in power, all hell's breaking loose. You know, that's the way I wanted to wrap this, actually, was, you know, going back to the way things were with Trump. I mean, it was literally four years of, of silence and solitude in that region. Uh, we moved our embassy to Jerusalem. We recognized Jerusalem as the capital, which is what previous presidents for the last 40 years had done, but never been willing to actually follow through with. They promised to do. And now here comes the Biden administration undoing all of the strength and the support that we showed publicly and internationally for Israel, thus emboldening the terrorists in Gaza to to launch these attacks, and moreover, Pete, you know, restoring their relationship with Iran, uh, you know, rejoining the JCPOA, giving Iran more money the way Barack Obama did with pallets full of cash, and then Iran is literally funding the rocket attacks by Hamas and the uh, and the Islamic Jihad. Uh, that means that, quite literally, Joe Biden and his administration are funding the attacks on Israel through Iran as a proxy. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's a legitimate point to make. That was the point I was making. The entry back into, or the attempted, the, the pleading that the Biden administration is engaging in with the world's chief state sponsor of, of terror, to re-engage in this disastrous deal, that in and of itself sends clear messages, not just to Iran, that's bad enough, and not just to Hamas, that's horrible, but it sends a message to China, 
to Russia, to North Korea, all of our other adversaries and enemies out there that, hey, guess what? Now's the time to act. You have got a window of opportunity here with an incredibly weak and confused administration and their handmaidens in Congress to do whatever you need to do. Our enemies are on the move. They're on the advance. And we're only three, four months into this administration. I, I shudder to think what's going to happen in the next three and a half years. I, that, that freaks me the heck out when you think about it that way. And the only thing I can do, Pete, like everybody else, is pray and become active that it isn't for the next three and a half years, that we nip it at two years by winning and taking control in 2022 and thus stop it of both houses of the, of the Congress and stop, you know, make Joe Biden a weak, uh, you know, lame duck for the last two years of his presidency. That's the only, only hope we have, I think, is making sure that we win back the House and the Senate. So... That's where we'll leave it for now, but obviously there's a lot of time between now and then in order to make that happen. A lot of things can happen. Peter Kersenow, terrific analysis as always. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you again. Thank you, Bob. That's Kersenow on AM 1420. The answer is 1052. Got time for a couple of calls on the other side to wrap it up right here on The Authority. You know, like I said to Pete uh, when I played that clip for him, just uh, following up on the Israel situation, I, I, I detected no passion, I detected no uh, conviction, I detected no belief in what he was saying when I listened to Tony Blinken, the, um, uh, the uh, Secretary of State, talking about uh, Israel having a right to defend itself. I mean, it's just, you know, listen, just listen to the flatness of it. It's like, yeah, we guess Israel has the right to defend itself, blah, blah, blah. Once Hamas and Hezbollah and the other, you know, Arab uh, nations around understand that the United States will stand with Israel like they did in the last four years of the Trump administration, very strong supporters of Israel, I think that that will lead to peace. Actually, that wasn't the clip, but that's okay. That one was... Uh, was uh, Carlos Jimenez, uh, who is a Republican from uh, from uh, Florida, that was Carlos Jimenez, and he is suggesting that what we need to do as a nation now, or the Biden administration needs to do, is parrot the Trump policy. So that will lead to peace if we are strong. Let's uh, let's get the right clip for you here. Here's what uh, Tony Blinken had to say yesterday. We've been working intensively behind the scenes to try to bring an end to the conflict. Israel has the right to defend itself. There is no equivalence between a terrorist group indiscriminately firing rockets at civilians and a country defending its people from those attacks. So we call on Hamas and other groups in Gaza to end the rocket attacks immediately. Okay, that's the part where I was talking about Tony Blinken just so flat and like we call on them to end the rocket attacks immediately. But yet, when asked about the solution here, you know, what Tony Blinken and the Biden administration continue to do is kiss up to, Pal- uh, to the Palestinians and the PLO um, by saying we want them to have their own state, a two-state solution. The best path forward uh, for uh, Israel, uh, for the Palestinians, is through uh, two states. Uh, that is the best way to guarantee Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state, and the best way, of course, to guarantee that the Palestinians have uh, the state that uh, they're entitled to. So what I, what I guess I want to say here in, in closing 
or I guess is what I want to ask here in closing is, is are these people in the Biden administration paying attention? And have they paid attention since 1948? There will never be a two-state solution because the Palestinians, the Arabs, the Muslims will never accept Israel as one of the two states. Israel can't exist. That's the bottom line. When the Israel recognition as a nation state happened in 1948, there was, there was a plan to create a Palestinian state. The Palestinians rejected it. They say that Israel is their state. That land is theirs. So the idea that the Biden administration through Blinken and others can continue the myth that a two-state solution is possible is just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It cannot happen when one of the two states believes that the other one must be wiped off the map forever. Support Israel. Pray for Israel. And let's hope that the American government remembers that we support Israel. Thanks again to my guests today. Uh, Jim Jordan will join us on tomorrow's program. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.